Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to the New Books Network. I'm Stephen Pimper, host of the Public Policy Channel, and I am thrilled today to be to tell you that we are joined by, among others who we will introduce shortly, Rebecca Gale Howell and Ashley M. Jones, who are editors of What Things Cost, an anthology from the people from the University Press of Kentucky. Rebecca and Ashley, welcome. Lovely to have you with us here today. Thank you for having us. So great to be here. Uh, so I wonder if we could start start by asking each of you first to introduce yourselves and maybe tell us a little bit about what you brought what brought you, excuse me, to this project. Um, Ashley, why Perfect. don't we start? So my with name you? is Ashley M. Jones. Um, I'm from Birmingham, Alabama. That's where I'm broadcasting from today. Good old Birmingham. I serve as the Alabama State Poet Laureate. Um, from the years 2022 to 2026. I'm the first person of color to serve, which is kind of what brings me to this work. Um, I also work as an educator. We are also broadcasting from my classroom here at the Alabama School of Fine Arts. Um, And what brought me to the work, other than Rebecca, of course, who literally brought me to the work um, of this book, in general, my whole life has been about lowering the cost of being alive here in America. And I try to do that by creating spaces for all of us to exist exactly as we want to and need to exist, um, by creating spaces for poets and artists to make art that affirms their existence. And I think this book is doing just that. Rebecca? Um, That's a beautiful way to start us off, Ashley. Thank you so much. I'm Rebecca Gale Howell. I'm a poet translator editor, professor. I work in uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas, which is where I'm calling in from um, at the University of Arkansas here. Um, And how this book began really um, was, um, sorry to take us there, but in 2016, when Donald J. Trump moved into the White House, um, there was a lot of uh, national narrative around who had put him there. And the story at the time that everyone seemed to be signed on to was that poor people had put him there specifically poor rural white people had put him there and you know since then it's been clear um i you know people have done enough research to understand that no the super rich put him there but at the time everyone was in agreement with this narrative and i have family roots in appalachia um you know trump country is where my people come from Um, And I knew in my heart that that was impossible because working poor people have no time and no resources to put any one person in the White House, right? And so then the question became in my heart, okay, so why is that narrative the one we want to believe? How is that useful, right? And the quick answer is it's useful for anyone who um, benefits from dividing working people against each other. Uh, you know, the democracy depends on a, a populace that is um, able to engage each other despite difference and in respect to difference. So, you know, that's the mission of the Poor People's Campaign is to understand that, 
bring people together who um, uh, work for a living and um, remind us all that that's where the electorate begins and ends, right? So um, that's sort of the seeds of where this book came from. And Ashley and I met um, in 2017. We were both releasing books at a book festival in Georgia, and I was invited to attend a reading um, by a poet I knew, and and there she was. And she she I didn't know her or her work at the time, and I was completely changed by that reading. And I anyone who knows me knows that I'm quite shy. This is uncharacteristic behavior, but I walked right up to her at the end of the reading and introduced myself. And we just started working together on um, this or that. And, um, you know, it didn't take long before I understood that uh, what the nation understands about Ashley now, which is that she is a person who means what she says. And that is rare. And um, that's the kind of person I want to be. And that's the kind of person I want to spend time with. It's been my great, 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 great privilege to work with her on this book. So we've got three of the contributors to the volume with us here today. But I wonder if before four, excuse me, uh, with us here today, I wonder if before we uh, turn the mic over to each of them to share their contributions to the volume. I wonder if, uh, Ashley, maybe we go back to you, if you can just uh, tell listeners a little bit about sort of the structure of the book itself. What is it? What's in there? What's the range of what's in there? What can readers expect to find beyond the lovely things that they're going to hear from people today? Well, it's an incredible book. And I'm not saying that just because I helped to edit it. It really is a huge, loving book. It's an anthology of poetry and prose. And it's all about labor and many, many iterations of that word. So you'll find poems that are about identity, poems about the literal labor of working, whether that's working in a store or the land or working to make your way to this country. Um, You'll read essays that talk about um, family lineage and um, what it means to be black or an immigrant or poor or or, or, or. There's everything in here. We tried to make um, this anthology as expansive as possible so that everyone who picks it up will find themselves reflected. That's another huge way to lower that cost, um, to remind us that America is made up of so many kinds of people. And it's not a melting pot. We're not melted necessarily. We're all here unmelted and whole. So, Lovely. Thank you. Um... So, uh, uh, Rebecca, maybe we'll bounce back to you. Would you? Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my best to to shut my mouth and turn the reins over to you. If you knew me better, you would know how difficult an enterprise that is. Uh, but I wonder if Rebecca, you and Ashley might take the reins a little bit here, and maybe start by asking uh, your contributors to introduce themselves, and then we can turn to having each of them share their contribution in turn, and then we'll finish up with a larger conversation. So I'm going to, I'm going to let you uh, do the driving in the way that you think makes the most sense. Sure. We're happy to. Um, So um, as you said, we have four of our contributors with us. Um, Lamar, would you start? Do you introduce yourself? Hi, my name is L. Lamar Wilson, and I'm a poet and filmmaker who resides in the unceded land of the Muscogee and, um, Mascago, uh, and other Seminole uh, in uh, northern Panhandle, Florida town of Mariana. Savannah? Hello, I'm Savannah Sipple, and I'm joining today from central Kentucky, but I'm from Appalachia in eastern Kentucky. 
and I'm a writer, primarily a poet, but also dabbling in essay and fiction, and I'm happy to be here, happy to be a part of this collection. Nabila, I'm just going (laughs) according to my screen here. (laughs) So good to finally meet you. Thank you for joining us today. Will you introduce yourself? Oh, thank you. It's so great to meet you, too. Oh, this is a beautiful affair. What's up, y'all? <laughs> My name is uh, Nabila Lovelace. Um, I am broadcasting from Ashley's Classroom in Birmingham, Alabama, um, and uh, born and raised in Queens, New York. Um, yeah, that's me. Thanks. And finally, Jacob. My name is Jacob Shores Arroyo. I am a Costa Rican-American prose writer and poet, and uh, I like crossing uh, genres um, in that way from Texas. And you're calling in from... Um, So I think that, you know, what Ashley said is really right, that we tried to assemble um, a community of writers who may or may not know each other, but um, together in the book create a conversation and have a conversation um, about their um, relationship with work. Um, sometimes that conversation is about family lineage. Sometimes that conversation is about personal experience, community experience. Um, and it's especially meaningful to me that so many different um, stories uh, are are bound in this um, one book. Um, so I want to invite you all to read the contribution that you um, gave to us. And I'd actually like to start by asking Ashley if she would read her poem. I do uh, feel comfortable. Let me pull up my poem. People are only hearing audio, so you didn't see the surprised face that Ashley just made. (laughs) You didn't see it either. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't see it. I take that back. I didn't see it either. Nope. (laughs) Nothing to see here. where is your poem? Uh, Yeah, there's a lot of Ashleys in here. Or there's a lot of Ash. I'll say while you're looking that it it was meaningful to us both to make sure that we each also had a poem in the book. Um, You know, that we were the editors and we were, you know, the project managers and and all of that, but um, we're really just a part of the conversation. That's true. So I have the poem here. It's called Hymn of Our Jesus and the Holy Tow Truck. Is it that easy, God, to be pulled or maybe to follow as if a car half crushed on the back of a tow truck. And incidentally, Lord, is that you I see flexed on the crossbar of a rusty wrecker on its way to the east side of Birmingham, which is like Eden growing holy fruit. My mother, the summer plot of peach, my father, the strong tomato, its unbending vine. Did you teach them to grow in this way, in the sweat of Alabama, strong as the dying crow, its blood-hardened wing straight as a crucifix, pointing always, easily, stubbornly, straight up, pious as a bone toward you? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. What you can't see listeners is, is all glowing <laughs> with gratitude for that. Nabila, since you all are sharing a mic, would you start us off going around? Prison labor meshes your gym shorts 
Prison labor freezes your frozen potatoes. Prison labor liqueured your new door. Prison labor saved your neighbor's burning house. Prison labor twines the book you read this from. Prison labor fed your cat and your favorite street strays. Prison labor plasticized your emergency float underneath your ass in an airplane seat. Prison labor made your pay go up. Prison labor bought your bosses, 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 boss, a league of new cars, then made the nylon seatbelt to strap each of his engines in place. Prison labor stitched the collar to your golf shirt. Prison labor pelted the priest's robes. Prison labor hexagoned the stop signs in our school zones. Prison labor sculpted breasts from young chicken chests to top our brioche buns, prison labor shaved cloth trimmings from across the bottom of our couches, prison labor shined the polyurethane that waterproofs my Nike tongues. Everything we buy supplies metal for cages. Aren't we ready for something else? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. That was a beautiful reading, extraordinary poem. Um, I'm just going to send us sort of around the room, and maybe if there's time, we'll, we'll talk about the work after. Um, Jacob, would you read now? This is a poem called Behind You. Uh, it's about restaurant work. Behind You. Ten years since I've worked in a restaurant for ten years. Dish pits, bus tubs, and prep. Kitchens sparkling with char and sweat. After work, we'd drink a beer for every table we'd served, and we'd sink, sink. Well, at least you don't have to take your job home with you, a friend said. But it's been ten years, and in my dreams I'm still clocking in late for dinner shifts, for slow Mondays where you owe the restaurant more than you make for two and a quarter an hour. I don't know what you see when you die in your sleep, but I think I'll be in a crowded kitchen trying to get through. Behind you, I'll say, running my trays. Behind you, restaurants, the architecture of my anxieties. Because rent, because of running out of time, because of making do, because some jobs you just can't leave behind you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Seth, would you like to join in next? This poem is called, When Those Who Have the Power Start to Lose It, They Panic. They rut young girls. They come to play. They carry their wallets and front pockets, checkbooks and glove boxes, money, no money, they drink beer, they drink bourbon. She shouldn't have been drinking. They say shit like boys will be boys, and you have to consider his side of the story. They mean his side of the story is the only one that matters. There's two sides. Girls should live legs open and mouth shut, go to church and dress up. What was she wearing? They four-wheel on weekends, 
They ride in golf carts, in Ubers, on bicycles. They get elected president. They want their girls tough enough to ride shotgun, limber enough to stretch across back seats, across laps, against doors, in back alleys, behind dumpsters. She was out too late. They want girls sober enough to see, drunk enough to see double, two sides. To moan no sounds like yes to their ears. No sounds like yes to their ears. Don't tell me no. She had a mouth on her. Unless we're talking about how 20 minutes might ruin the rest of their lives. Then no. Wait. We don't deserve this. There are two sides. Listen to me. They don't fuck up, do they? They get up, pay $120,000, walk away. She shouldn't have even been there. Thank you so much. <laughs> We're all very silently clapping here. Lamar, um, would you read next? Wow, wow, wow. What a gift this book is. Um, some names you need to know that you will hear in the poem. Lola Kennedy, who is the victim of a killing. Claude Neal, killed in 1934, accused of that murder. And Celis Harrison, killed 80 years ago, um, after he had successfully petitioned for a fair trial in the Florida State Supreme Court. This is a poem for the survivors. Burden Hill Apothecary, and Babalu Ayi prepare stinging nettle tea. We don't die. We fruitful and multiply like the good masters say. Fields of okra, snap peas, collards, cabbage spring out the ground. So many bullets sagging on the vine, you can hear them holler. Pull me, cut me, watch me grin. We oblige. So much green between our waist and toes, we can't see the clay caked in the spurs cutting our heels for the pines that shade us. We tramp them cones they shed that seed the soil that keeps us alive, our loins spilling, more mouths begging to be filled every day. Them peckerwoods would turn every limb into a grave if our maker let them. You talk about how they strung up Claude, but you done forgot that high cellar sought cellus. Smash his skull twain under the ma that magnolia over yonder where he seasoned these here roots I'll boil to break that fever you so afraid won't loose you. But every season more squash, kale, peanuts, melons split open so sweet, so sweet everybody begged to sink their teeth in deep. Like them weeds we yank from this here earth, we won't die. We your worst nightmare. Shoot one of us down and our churin's churin' seeds will take root and shoot up right here like our pappy's pappy's done. Mustards, limas, sweet potatoes, whites too. Our roots too deep. You can't kill us all. Think of all that cane you so keen to suck on. Drag that stalk too long, that juice will turn bitter as the laughter in your throat and choke. Don't let them fool you into cutting your tongues out your own mouths. These here is the best of times when the sun don't stop 
Shine until you can smell the moonshine. Midnight riders crawling out they bed to climb in yours and rub against you till you sang like locusts in heat. A low hum, a steady moan, till they kingdom come and morning light appear. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, so as you all can hear, the um, book collects a lot of different stories. And um, if I had to put language to them all at once, I would just simply say that, um, you know, dem democracy depends on power being decentralized. Democracy says the common person is sacred, actually. That's who the king is. Um, and if we live in an increasingly more economic stratified um, reality, um, what happens is that the, the people who hold the country's future in their hands have no time, no power um, um, to protect it. And for me, I want to speak for Ashley, but um, I welcome her to, to chime in here. For me, that means that these stories need to be told and shared. Right, because the more we can understand each other, um, the more we can prize not only our own lives but our shared project of this country. Um, so, for for me, this book is the very start of a conversation that I hope grows and grows and grows where these stories get shared. I'll read my own poem that's in the book now, um, and I'll turn it over to you, Stephen. After um, what you need to know to enter the poem is that my Mother was the daughter of subsistence farmers in East Kentucky. Um, and uh, she, um, this is not necessary for the poem, but I'll say it because it's necessary for the book. She had to leave her, her home place when she was 15 years old to join the workforce. Um, and um, she did that because her parents could no longer afford to send her to school. She loved to read. They couldn't buy her the books. Um, and so it is not an exaggeration to say that I am her dream come true, that I get to spend my life thinking and reading books is um, thanks to the labor that broke her back. My mother told us not to have children. She'd say, never have a child you don't want. Then she'd say, of course I wanted you once you were here. She's not cruel, just practical, like a kitchen knife, still the blade and care. When she washed my hair, she hurt, her nails rooting my thick curls, the water rushing hard. It felt like drowning, her tenderness. As a girl, she'd been the last of ten to take a bath, which meant she sat in dirty water, alone, her mother in the yard bloodletting a chicken, her brothers and sisters, crickets, eating the back forty, gone. Is grace a resource of the privileged? In this respect, my people were poor. We fought to eat and fought each other because we were tired from fighting. We had no time to share. Instead, our estate was honesty, which is not tenderness, and that it is a kind of drowning, but also a kind of air. So I will jump back in at this point. It is. It is all of those are exceedingly hard acts to follow. Um, I want to pick up a little on uh, observation that that Rebecca made um, about sort of, of one of the ways in which she thinks about this volume before she read her contribution about the importance of 
among other things, creating space and time for democratic participation and engagement, right? And that's not, of course, just physical space, but mental space and emotional space and a sense that one's engagement in the political world matters and that it can have effect. Um, Listeners may have observed that this conversation is being hosted by the Public Policy Channel and thought that, well, that's odd. Why is the Policy Channel talking to poets, for heaven's sake, right? But I think that as I think about sort of, and my focus is is on U.S. policymaking and uh, poverty, homelessness, inequality, those kinds of issues. And what I have devoted a lot of my work to is thinking through the ways in which so much of those not just national, but state and local policymaking apparatuses are governed by people who typically have no meaningful knowledge or experience of those lives at all. So are creating policy in a vacuum at best, but more often based on invidious stereotypes of what it means to be poor, working, insecure, struggling, marginalized, right? What it is to be a member of an outgroup, um, which almost by definition, right? If you've risen to a place of policymaking, uh, counts you out. So um, that's that's my sort of, of long way of making the argument for why this work is enormously important to policymaking, that we find more venues for people with meaningful experience and knowledge of this with perspectives that are informed by life experiences, by familial relations, by community relations that um, may not be those sitting forefront in the minds of the people with power and money and influence. Um, So that's my plug for why everyone who is listening needs to now go out and get their own copy of this, because we have only heard a tiny selection of the Rebecca Ashley. I've, I've lost track. How many chapters do we have here? Dozens and dozens and dozens of yes. contributions, right? <laughs> a lot is the technical term. Um, and it really is. It's it's so rich and so lovely. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll give Ashley, do you want sort of a, a last opportunity to share your thoughts? Since Rebecca and I both have now uh, uh, offered our own view of the volume and its use. And sure. Importance. I want to start by saying those who are listening Y'all could not see us having a spiritual experience here. I mean, if you're familiar with the Southern term to shout, uh, does not mean to scream. It means to experience the Holy Ghost in a way that your body manifests. And that's what we've been doing over here, listening to these poems. And I think it's really important um, for everyone, especially those making laws and policy and all of that, to understand that humans are who live here in the country. And they are also human beings. And for me, art making and being around artists and hearing poems and, um, and stories helps me remember that I'm a human, that others are human beings, and that all of us deserve to be able to live freely um, here. And I think what's missing in those policy rooms, well, there's a lot missing, let's say that first, but one thing that's missing is humanity. Um, and people have asked me throughout my life when I'm gonna run for something, and the answer is never because I am too committed to humanity um, to tie myself so closely with 
the institutions, but I hope that some of those people who want to run for something will engage themselves in their own humanity first. And one great way is to engage in art. And this book is a great way to do that. So that's my last little thing. <laughs> here, here. Uh, you are listening to the Public Policy Channel of the New Book Network, and we have been speaking with the editors and a handful of contributors of an extraordinary new volume called What Things Cost, an anthology for the people new out from University Press of Kentucky. And I can't thank you all enough for joining us here and can't encourage all of you listening enough to go out and get your own copy and encourage your libraries to acquire copies um, so that these perspectives and this wisdom um, can be shared among a larger population, maybe in places where it's not always expected. Thank you all. 